A little while ago, I mentioned Vacation Bible School and the decisions that people made, that kids made and indicated, and we'll, like I say, we'll be trying to follow up on those. If your child or grandchild brought home a bag, uh, and you're not aware of why yet, it's because they indicated a decision. On Thursday evening, we, we recognized the children that uh, indicated decisions during the week, send them home with those bags uh, to help celebrate that, but also to let you know to talk with your child, follow up with them. And if you have any questions, let us know. We want to get back with you, do our best to follow up. But uh, as parents, as grandparents, we want it to start with you. So letting you know that as we continue to celebrate that, one thing occurred to me on Thursday evening when we had our wrap-up rally and we, uh, through the week, we, we had our pledges to uh, the American flag, the Christian flag, and the Bible, and we duplicated that on Thursday evening with the families there, and it occurred to me, and I, I was sitting at the back as we uh, said our pledges, and it, it, it just hit me. I was thinking about it earlier today. How many places and how many times do we now, as a family, pledge allegiance to the flag? How many times do you get to do that with your kids and, and instill in them, again, that, that value uh, of patriotism and uh, that the heartbeat of America is that we have freedom of religion? Is one of the founding principles in our country, the freedom of religion. Now we understand that we're, we are fallen sinners in need of a Savior. We, we trust Christ as our Savior. We understand that as believers in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. But in this journey, in this time, God has put us in the United States of America. And one of the things we value so much is that freedom to share the gospel, to worship together, to live our faith. And may we never neglect that. Our founders understood the importance of this principle. Just one example from John Adams. John Adams said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Uh, it's a founding principle that they understood that to be a United States of America, we had to have a common moral compass. And that for them, that common moral compass came primarily from biblical values and a biblical worldview. Uh, so they ingrained that, that, first of all, that we have a creator, and then therefore we have certain inalienable rights or truths. There are truths that are self-evident. That is to say, those truths are outside of us. They belong to the creator, and he tells us what they are. The tragedy is, in our nation now, we look more like the divided states of America. And one of the reasons for that is we have lost that moral compass. Uh, we've lost that grounding in a biblical worldview that gives us that moral compass. But as John Adams clearly stated, we're a constitutional republic, which means people are free to make their own decisions. So we need that moral compass to remind us that making your own decisions doesn't mean you can do just anything you want to do. We have to agree on what that morality is. And the sad truth is we don't agree very much anymore. We need to come back to that moral compass. But a lot of the division, the struggling we see in our nation today is because many in our nation have left that moral compass. They've, they've left that fundamental truth that being free to make your own decisions doesn't mean you can do anything you want to do. We, we seek to do what we universally agree on is morally right, and those universal, that universal morality comes from the Bible. Our founders knew that, and again, they ingrained it in the fabric of our nation. To give you an idea of just how... Uh, divided we are now on this perspective. Consider June 24th, uh, Cori Bush, uh, Congresswoman Cori Bush, um, 
spoke at a pro-abortion rally. And she and a few others on the platform that day in Missouri made the statement that abortion was an act of love. Abortion, they said, was an act of love. Now, the problem with that, if it's not already clear to you, if nothing else, is that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches is an act of love. Uh, See, the abortionist is saying an act of love is to take the life of someone else for my convenience. An act of love is to take the life of someone else for my convenience. And that's what they mean overall by abortion. Don't worry about the exceptions, just the rule. And the rule is it's for convenience. So to take the life of someone else for my convenience is an act of love. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the greatest act of love anyone, any action or any loving action anyone can take, the the greatest act is to give my life so someone else can live. Big difference. Between those two things. That's love, according to Scripture, to give my life so that someone else can live. And and the principle doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that I have to actually die. What it does mean, though, is that I, I serve that principle, that true love means sometimes I have to submit and live my life in such a way that other people can live, that another person gets to live. It might mean I have to actually give my life. But at the very least, it means I have to take responsibility for my actions. I have to submit to law. I have to submit to order. I submit to morality. I live my life. And if I make a decision that conflicts with my convenience, I still sacrifice my life so that others can live. And that might mean sacrificing my convenience so that others can live. The Bible underscores this over and over and over. Just take one of the most popular and best-known verses of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God so loved you, what did he do? Did he take your life? No. He gave the life of his son so that you could live. In John 15, 13, Jesus echoed this out loud to his disciples. It's embedded in scripture. Greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love than that. And it's certainly not taking the life of someone else for your convenience. No, it's deciding, choosing to lay down your life so someone else can live. That's the heartbeat of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the heartbeat of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the biblical definition of true sacrificial love. This morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. As we acknowledge, listen to this, our declaration of independence spiritually. Our declaration of independence spiritually means that if you're a believer in Christ, he has set you free from sin and death. And Jesus said, he he told us, he commanded us to participate in the Lord's Supper. And every time we did, remember him and remember what he had done for us. That is, every time you participate in the Lord's Supper as a believer in Christ, you are once again celebrating your declaration of independence. The day you trusted Christ as your Savior is the day you acknowledged his love for you, and he set you free from sin and death so that you could live for Christ. Next week, we'll pick back up in our series in the book of Daniel. But this morning, join me in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, just one verse this morning, Verse 23, Romans 6, 23. If you've been in church a long time, if you've been a Christian a long time, you might recognize this verse right away because it's a verse we often quote as we talk about salvation. 
And it's a reminder of what it means for us to be free in Christ and for the love of God in Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. Romans 6, 23. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This verse has a, a line of demarcation right, right at the beginning. For the wages of sin is death, put a line there, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we can summarize it this way. I'm going to go and tell you what our two points are, then we're going to go back and take a look at them. You ready? Sin destroys life, God gives life. Just that simple. Sin destroys life, God gives life. That's the line of demarcation. That's the difference between a biblical view of love and life and the world's view of love and life. Sin destroys life. God gives life. Let's break it down. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. The word for is there because it's the conclusion of a long drawn out explanation Paul is giving about the difference between being free in Christ and being a slave to sin. Then he gets to this point and he says, this is why, for the wages of sin is death. That is the payment for sin is always death. That, that's the end result of it. And by this he means in the, in the grand scheme and picture of things. He doesn't mean every time you commit a sin someone dies. What he means is sin itself can only ultimately bring death. Sin and death go together. And sin always destroys life. And frequently we do see the objective of sin is to destroy life. We see that happening in our culture all the time. That's why sin always produces chaos and destruction and death and lawlessness. Sin always destroys life. The wages of sin is death basically means this, that there must be one day, someday, a payment for your sin. And that payment is predetermined. That payment is death. The Bible teaches that someone has to die for your sin. There's no going back from that. Sin and death, they go together. Sin destroys life. So one day, someday, someone's got to die for your sin. And the logical conclusion is that would be you. That would be me for my sin. That would be you for your sin. The wages of that sin, your sin, is always ultimately going to be death. But the term wages is kind of specific. And it brings to mind a particular picture, a payment picture. You see, sin operates and death operates with sin in an earnings model, an earnings way of, of, of doing things. Uh, think of it like this. Let's say you get a new job tomorrow and you go to your employer and you say, what am I getting paid to do this job? And your employer says, I'll tell you when you're finished. So you work all day and you come back at the end of the day and you say, what did I get paid today? And your employer says, I'll tell you when you finish tomorrow. And I'll tell you when you finish the next day. And, and on and on this goes. And every time you ask your employer, what am I going to get paid? Your employer says, I'll tell you at the end of the day tomorrow. And then after a while, your employer starts tagging on to that. But make sure you work harder and that everything you do is good. I'll tell you at the end of the day tomorrow, but make sure you work harder and that everything you do is good. And on and on it goes. Now, you might work that job three months. You might work it three years or 30 years. But the statement's the same every time. And every time you say, okay, I'll come back tomorrow and see what I'm going to get paid. Because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, my wages must ultimately be pretty good. 
Because at the end of it all, I'm going to get paid a lot. So finally, at the end of your tenure at this job, you come to your employee and you say, I'm done, I'm finished, I've done my best, I worked my hardest. Every day I worked harder, every day I did better, every day you said, I'll tell you what you're going to earn for this. And that's when you find out instead of earning, you've been accruing a debt. And the reason you accrue that debt is because you can never work hard enough or be good enough to get the payment. You just work and work and work and work harder and harder. And instead of getting payment, you accrue a debt. And at the end of your employment, your employer says, well, you're, there's no way you can pay your debt other than with your life. So you've got to die. To pay your debt. The Bible teaches we are accruing a debt of sin we cannot pay. And only death will pay that sin. And the, the, the terrifying and astounding surprise that goes with that is that we are told over and over, well, just be good. Just do better. Just work harder. Earn more, earn more, earn more. But we're not earning, we're accruing debt. And at the end of it all, death is the only payment that will satisfy the creditor. The wages of sin, your sin, my sin, is death. Somebody has to die. And it's going to be us. But... Now, that's a word in this verse you should underline, underscore. If your translation's got it there, highlight, underscore. This beautiful three-letter three word. But the gift of God. The gift of God. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The other sign of the line of demarcation is that God took action we could not take. He's not asking you to work harder to be better, to do good things. He's saying, I know someone's going to have to die for that, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to freely pay off your debt. Free. That's it. Because no work you can do, no goodness you can try to uh, accumulate, nothing will pay off that debt other than your life. So God's gift of eternal life, his free gift, is to give his son Jesus Christ so you and I could move from death to life. But here's the thing, the end of the sentence. It's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nowhere else. It's not in our good works. It's not in another religion. It's not anywhere else. It's in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So to receive that free gift of salvation, forgiveness of that debt, we must trust Jesus Christ and his payment for our debt, which is what he did for us on the cross. No amount of good works can take its place. You can't earn enough to pay off your debt, but Christ is offering payment for you. He already paid the debt. You just have to accept it. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's free. And you and I think, no, 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 that can't be right. I've got to work hard. I've got to be better. I've got to be good. The problem is we can't. <laughs> so Jesus says, give that up. And give yourself over to him. Trust Christ and his death on the cross. 
He paid for your sin on the cross. He paid for my sin on the cross. Yes, someone had to die because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness of sin, no forgiveness of that debt. So Christ died on the cross for you and for me. That's why every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you're celebrating your declaration of independence. Christ set me free from sin and death and the burden of trying to satisfy that debt on my own. And there's no way I can. But you have to acknowledge, you have to realize, I cannot satisfy that debt on my own. I can't do that on my own. Only Christ can do that, and he's done that for me. One day, Mark Jones' mother got a call from Mark's third grade teacher. And Mark's third grade teacher said, I, I need to tell you something that Mark did today. And Miss Jones, like most mothers, cringed. What did he do? And the teacher said, no, 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 it's not like that, but I've never had anyone do what he did, and I, don't want, I want to be the one to tell you. I want you to know what your son Mark did. She said, this is how it works. She said, I have an assignment I use every year, and I've been using it for years and years and years. And the students have a story. I tell them a story, and then I ask them to finish the story. And the story goes like this. An ant and a grasshopper were friends. They were neighbors and friends. And winter was coming, so the ant worked hard all summer to get ready for winter. The ant stored up everything he would need to take care of him, himself for the winter. But while he was working hard and getting ready for the winter, the grasshopper did nothing. The grasshopper played in the fields and had fun in the grass and came by to watch the ant work. And then the grasshopper went off and did what grasshoppers do. Then winter came and the grasshopper came to the ant and said, will you give me some of your food so that I can survive the winter? And she stopped there and she said, so, Mrs. Jones, I asked the students to finish the story. And when I asked them to finish the story today, Mark raised his hand and he said, can I draw a picture? And she said, well, you can draw a picture at the end, but you need first to finish the story. It, it's important you actually write out the finish to the story. So she said, I'm calling you to tell you Mark's finish to the story. She said that, that most of the time, far and away, the students will say, when winter came, the ant gave the grasshopper some of his food. And they shared the food. Even though the ant didn't have as much, he gave some to the grasshopper. And she said, occasionally, there will be a student that says, well, the grasshopper blew it, the ant didn't give him anything, and the grasshopper died. But she said, for the first time since I've been teaching, a student did something that no student had ever done, and your son Mark did it. This is what he said. When winter came, the ant gave the grasshopper everything he had, and the grasshopper lived, and the ant died. And Mrs. Jones said, well, did he draw a picture? She said, yes. At the bottom of the page, he drew a picture of three crosses, and then under it he wrote the end. That's how much God loves you. He had everything and gave everything so you could have eternal life. And that's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. 
In just a moment, our deacons are going to come and sit on the front, and they'll be serving you the Lord's Supper. Uh, we use the combined bread and the cup, the wafer and the cup together, and I'll walk through that with you in, in just a moment. If you're not a member of First Baptist Church, but you're a follower of Christ, you know you've trusted Christ as your Savior, we want to invite you to participate with us. You don't have to be a member of First Baptist, but you do need to be a Christian. You do need to know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. See, this is a distinctly Christian act. And Jesus told those who follow Christ, follow him, committed their lives to him, to do this in remembrance of their Independence Day, their declaration of independence, in remembrance of the day that you trusted Christ death on the cross as a substitution for you. That's what you're doing. And when we celebrate it together, we're acknowledging what he's done for us.